0: A number of years ago, I had the privilege of going on a mission trip, and as part of our trip, we went to a part of the world where, honestly, I thought only National Geographic photographers went, you know, one of those, one of those trips where you just start to uh, feel like you're in another world. Much of the world feels much the same, especially after you've been to a few countries, but uh, this really felt like a different place. I don't know if you can see that picture very well, but that's a longhouse. This is in the the jungles of of, uh, eastern Malaysia near Borneo. And um, these villages uh, were composed of one or two of these longhouses. The whole village lived in one of these bamboo and board structures, and one door after another after another uh, was a room of one of the families, and that's where they lived. And um, I remember, as we were we were staying there, we actually the, the the young men in our group slept out on that front porch, and uh, they emptied one of the apartments for the ladies to sleep in that room. And um, as we as we as we fell asleep that night, I still remember a wall of faces on one side of the porch watching us fall asleep, and as you turned to the other side of the porch, there was another wall of faces seeing how white people slept. Um, in fact, while we were there, one of the villages, I remember going down, it was a very hot day in the jungle, the tropics, you know, and I, I went down to the river and I took off my shirt and I was all by myself and I just was, was splashing myself down and washing myself down and cooling off a little bit and I looked up on that, the bank of the river up above me and there was just a wall of faces. And uh, one of our translators was walking by while while this was happening, and he said, do you know what they were saying about you? They were saying, look at that peeled potato. Well, that night, I remember it was a Saturday night, we left the village, one of these longhouse villages, and we were going to go to the, to the next village. We were doing some medical work, we were trying to help share the love of Jesus with these villages, and I remember we left the, this one longhouse village and we were going to the next village, and by the time we left, it was already getting dark, and we asked our guide, how, how far is it to the next village? He said, oh, about one cigarette. Um... You see, they didn't have clocks and time pieces, so their measure of time was how long it took to smoke a cigarette. Well, I had to decide after that trip, they have some very slow-burning cigarettes, <laughs> because as we made our way into the darkness, there was a little bit of a problem. Um, our guide was leading us with a some sort of a bamboo torch, literally, he had something burning on the top of a bamboo torch, and he was walking through the jungle, and there was probably about 18 of us trying to follow. The problem was very few of us had flashlights. And as we went off into the darkness, and as the darkness got deeper and deeper, the problem became worse and worse. Those fortunate enough with, to have a flashlight could see where we were going, and we were walking down a very muddy trail. It was very, um, it, was, it was very vertical in some places, very steep. It had rained, and so it was slippery and slick. There were rivers we had to wade across in the darkness, coming up to our waist or so. There were mountainsides. We were going through these rice paddies, and as we went down these slippery slopes, sometimes there were those who would lose their footing, and they would slide all the way to the bottom, at times taking out everyone who was in front of them. And periodically, you would, f- you would hear the, the, the night air being punctuated, being pierced by a scream as someone stepped into something they didn't expect or fell into a mud puddle. And uh, one thing I learned very quickly it pays to have a flashlight. It pays to be prepared to be able to see where you're going. Amen? The reality is that all of us are along a treacherous path, and that's the path of life, right? We're walking down a pathway which, to us, and in fact, to anyone but God, is yet unknown. We're going into unexplored territory, and that's the future. We're looking for a pathway to safety. We're looking to arrive at our destination intact, but we don't know what's out there. And that's why it's good to have a light. Our, our scripture for today is Psalm 119 and verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Last week we were talking about what it means to grow spiritually. We were talking about there's, there's a certain amount of knowledge that we need in order to grow in the Lord, in order to be a, a vibrant Christian, in order to be a vibrant church. We collectively and individually need to be growing, amen? Amen. Why would someone want to be a part of a church where people weren't growing? We need to be growing each day, each week in the Lord. And so we looked at some of that which is needed, and one of the things that is needed is knowledge, right? It's knowledge, and a a couple of different types of knowledge. And this knowledge I would propose to you this morning is found in the Word of God. It's only found in the Word of God. It's only in the Word of God that we're going to see the the, the path clearly, the path that will lead to spiritual growth. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Understanding, that's what we need. We need an understanding of two things. We need an understanding of ourselves, and we need an understanding of Jesus. You know, it's, a, it's something. No one reaches the NBA or the NFL and decides they don't need to continue training and practicing, right? No one gets there and says, I've arrived. I don't need any more of that, you know, my skills developed. No, if you're going to be in the NBA or the NFL, you're going to have to keep working at those skills, right? You're going to have to keep practicing. No one reaches medical school and decides they don't need to study anymore. I mean, I did well on my MCAT, right? I know all that I was supposed to know, so therefore I can just stop studying. I haven't asked my wife, but from what she's told me about medical school, that's not the way it worked. She had to keep studying, right? And uh, that's because there's always more to learn. No one reaches adulthood and decides they don't need to eat anymore, right? I've grown as much as I'm going to grow. My feet aren't getting any bigger. I'm not getting any taller. I just need to stop eating. That's not the way we look at life. We know we have to continue eating. And yet, for some reason, at times, I sort of feel like once we've become a Christian we subconsciously decide we don't need to keep intently studying God's Word anymore. The the priority sort of fades away, and we stop realizing how imperative it is for us to be spending time in the Word of God. And so we're going to look this morning at how we can know Jesus better and how we can know ourselves better. I believe that to overcome the unconscious. Influences that shape our view of God, you and I need to be constantly in the Word of God. The Word of God is how we see who Jesus is. It'd be well for us, it'd be well for us, the book Desire of Ages tells us, to spend a thoughtful hour each day in studying the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes, right? Let the mind dwell on each point. Why? Because there we see the character of God revealed. In the life of Christ, we see what God is really like. In His willingness to go to the cross, we see what God is really like. In His forgiving those who nailed Him to the tree, we see what God is really like. We see the character of God revealed. In fact, the cross of Christ is the fullest and most complete revelation of what the character of God is really like. At the cross of Christ, the whole universe realized Listen, the devil's deceptions no longer have any, any, any influence on the rest of the universe. After they saw the character of Satan and the character of Jesus manifest in full force of the cross of Christ, they saw that God indeed is love. He would not coerce, He would not force, He would not try to twist the arms of His followers to do as He wished. No, He asks us to obey Him because He loves us. And He's willing to die for our disobedience. What an amazing God, amen? And all of that is found revealed in the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Now you might say, I've read the Bible, I know what it says. Yes, but every day those subconscious influences or conscious influences are warping our view of the character of God. And we need every day to be letting the Holy Spirit provide that antidote that we might be able to every day not only keep our understanding of who God is, but grow in our understanding of who God is. The second thing we need to know, and I believe this is all we need to know to be saved, friends. I'm not downplaying any further knowledge of God or the truth of God's Word or the doctrines. Believe me. I believe that every single doctrine, if it's worth having, is simply a window into the character of God. Okay? I, I believe that all we need to know is who God is, And who we are. Because once we know who we are, once we know who we are, there's one thing I'm going to guarantee you, at least if you're like me, once we know who we are, we're going to feel a need for something outside of ourselves for the grace of God because I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. When I see Jesus and I see how how He went to the cross, friends, when I see how He suffered for me, not because of anything He did, And then I realize how short my patience sometimes is. How easy it is for me to to feel misused or abused. And I think, what kind of a person am I? And I realize I need Jesus. Remember last week, the weaker and more helpless you know yourself to be, the stronger you'll become in His strength. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency... That's why we need to spend time every day in the Word of God. We need to spend time every day in the Word of God so that we can be stripped of all self-sufficiency. When I wake up in the morning, my natural human nature, because of who we are, and I think you have the same human nature that I have, our natural human nature allows us to somehow find good in ourselves that we can pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves with. You know what I'm talking about? Somehow we see other people and we think, well, I'm not like them. this, and this isn't, this isn't something we consciously, intentionally do. This is subconscious, right? We're not bad people. We're not going around saying, oh, I'm so good. No, but subconsciously we become comfortable, we become self-sufficient because we can always see something, something in somebody else that we wouldn't do or that we don't do. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the conservative side of the spectrum or the liberal side of the spectrum. I've found that there are plenty of conservatives that begin to congratulate themselves for the things they do, right? Maybe it's what they eat or where they go or where they don't go or what they don't eat and all those things, right? They congratulate themselves. But I've also noticed there are plenty of those on the other end of the spectrum who congratulate themselves for not doing that. And both, it's, it's a human tendency, right? It's a human tendency to try to feel good about ourselves and to forget that we don't deserve heaven. Only by the grace of God am I going to walk on the streets of gold. And so every day I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to know myself better. And that's why we're talking today about studying the Word of God. That's why we're talking about having time to spend with that light in our life to give understanding to our simple minds to open our perspectives to see who God is and see who we really are the point of having devotions in my personal experience I just want to tell you the point of having devotions is not so that I can learn my doctrines better that may happen the point of having devotions is not so that I can give Bible studies to someone else in the pew or someone else outside of the church and convince them of that I'm right and they're wrong. The point of having, of spending personal time with Jesus every day is so that we can be converted, so that we can see Jesus more clearly and so that we can see ourselves more clearly. That's my goal. That's my goal is to see Jesus and to see myself. And if I can spend time in God's Word and be converted, I can have those two understandings growing every single day. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Lest you think I'm just making this up, that I'm just exaggerating, that I'm just saying, well, you know, studying the Word of God on a regular basis is necessary because it's what I do. Listen. Listen to what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, he says... Being born again. Is that important or not? Yes, is that important? Jesus says, unless you are born again of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God, right? Being born again, He says, not of corruptible seed, but of what? Incorruptible by the... Word of God, which lives and abides forever. This is the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that these words which we hold in our hands, these words which are, which are written, were written by human beings just like we are, these words that are just ink and paper, these words contain, they contain the living, eternal Word of God. And Peter calls this Word of God like an incorruptible seed, a seed when when it's planted in the heart and given soil, given good soil to grow in, will bring about an entire change in the life we call conversion, being born again. How are we born again? We're born again by the Word. It's not by some magic. It's not by some particular seance or some, you know, four-step prayer that we go through, all of those things are only tools, but it's the Word of God that has power. The Word of God has power no human words can ever have, because the Bible tells us the Creator spoke and it happened. By the Word of the Lord where the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. The Word of God has creative power, and when we open our hearts, when we crack the hard soil of our hearts to allow the Word of God to take root in our hearts, He begins to change us through the Word. That's what we're looking at here today. The Word of God is compared in a number of different ways in the Scriptures. We're not going to look at all of them today, but I want us to look at a couple of passages here together very quickly as we, as we think about the Word of God. It's, it's compared to a two-edged sword. If we turn to the, to, the, to the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're just going to have a couple of texts here on, this, on the screen for the interest of time. It says, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the what? In the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I've often pondered that. I've, I've, I've wondered, you know, I believe in this light. I believe that God's word is light. I believe that God's truth is light. And here he's saying, He's given us the light of the knowledge of the glory or character of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is it about the face of Jesus Christ that allows us to know the character of God, to know the glory of God. Look with me in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. If we look at the face of Jesus coming on that white horse, Revelation's description of Jesus on that day, it says, and out of his mouth goes forth a sharp, what? A sharp sword. This is a symbolic prophecy, right? And it's a symbolic prophecy. When you look at the face of Jesus Christ, what do you see? Out of his mouth is coming a sharp two-edged sword. What is that sword? What is the sword which allows us to understand the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ? Ephesians 6 verse 17 tells us, The sword of the Spirit which is the what? The Word of God. It's not that we should find a painting of Jesus and hang it on our wall and be staring at that painting to know the character of God. No, this is all symbolic. The face of Jesus Christ is symbolic of His character, and His character is conveyed to us, it's communicated to us through that Word that's coming out of His mouth as a two edged sword. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, the, the, the reason the Word of God is so effective is because as I study the Word of God, as I look in the, in the Scriptures, as I open the Word of God and I allow God to begin to reveal myself to me, as I pray as did David, remember Psalm 139? He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we open the Word of God and we open our hearts and we give God permission to teach us through His Word who we really are, the Word of God, it, he says it's so sharp it can divide between the bone and the marrow. It's as if it can, it can pierce right to the very inside of our hearts and show us the things in our life which shouldn't be there. And the wonderful thing, it's like a skillful surgeon. When, when we go to, uh, to have a surgery, we hope the surgeon can distinguish between the good tissue and the bad tissue, right? Can distinguish between the cancer and the healthy skin, the healthy cells. The Word of God is so sharp, it can divide cleanly right between that sin in our heart, and it'll cut it out. Now, does that sometimes hurt? Does surgery sometimes hurt? Yes, but friends, the Word of God only cuts to heal. The Word of God only cuts to heal. You see, God's Word begins to show us who we are, and we begin to see ourselves. And thankfully, it doesn't end there. God's Word also begins to cleanse us from our sins. I want to take with you in your scriptures, in your Bibles, turn with me first of all to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36. I love this promise. It's one of my favorite promises in all of the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 36, and we're going to begin with verse 25. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. This is a promise, my friends, that we can claim. This is a new covenant promise of what God wants to do in each one of our hearts. It's found here in the Old Testament. And if anyone wants to say that, that God didn't want to change their hearts and save them by grace in the Old Testament, I just point them to the, the covenant con- conveyed by Jeremiah, conveyed by Ezekiel. Listen, God wanted to make a miraculous change in men and women's hearts From the beginning, right? The beginning of time. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Then will I sprinkle... What does he say? I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit... Within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Does that sound like good news, friends? Does that sound like it's something we legalistically have to try harder and accomplish? Or does it sound like something God promises to do in our hearts? Isn't that good news? This is. the the experience of conversion that God wants us to have. And it starts by that sprinkling of clean water. Unless we think this is some sort of a, you know, maybe a baptism by sprinkling that's being talked about. This is a symbolic sprinkling, isn't it? He's not talking about literally taking our heart out and giving us a new heart. He's talking about figuratively, spiritually taking our old stony heart out, changing our mind, changing our hearts. We call it conversion. We call it being born again. And it starts with that sprinkling of clean water. What is the clean water that God wants to sprinkle on His church? What is the clean water that God wants to sprinkle in our lives? Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. A couple of verses in the New Testament, I believe, give us the answer to this question. I want that water, don't you? Do you want that water sprinkled in your heart? Do you want that, that conversion experience? That's what I want. I want it every day It's not good enough to have it yesterday or last week or last year. I want that every day. John chapter 15, beginning with, uh, well, we'll just read one verse, verse 3. John chapter 15, verse 3. Jesus speaks to His disciples and He says, Now you are clean through what? Through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Do you know that the Word of God has cleansing power? The Word of God has the power to cleanse us from our lives of sin and of, and of uh, degradation. Why is that? Because as we see ourselves and as we see Jesus, we turn to Him. And it's His r- blood, His righteousness that cleanses us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. A well-known verse. We often hear it when we talk about Marriage and family, husbands, love your wives, right? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Verse 26, Ephesians 5, verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the what? Water. Washing of water by the, by the Word. That clean water which Ezekiel speaks about, it's, it cannot be applied to our hearts if we're not spending time in the Word of God. Does that make sense to you? this morning, my friends? If we're not spending time in the Word of God, we're not experiencing that refreshing, sprinkling water. We're not experiencing that cleansing that Jesus wants us to experience. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about it, but this is just, this is just the truth as the Bible says it, right? We need the Word of God in our lives. You know, it's just a matter of simple relationships, isn't it? You know, if, if, suppose I never spent time with my uh, butter half, my butter-looking half. And uh, suppose I just left Jane. I said, well, we were married, weren't we? I mean, just 470 days or so ago or so, we were married. We're still married. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. But I never spent time with Jane. What do you think she would say? Spend time with me, right? We need to be growing together. We need to be growing, getting to know each other better. We need to be growing in our love with each other. We need that experience, that time together to grow. It's not, friends, a matter of legalism. It's not a matter of legalism. It's a matter of love. That's why we spend time with Jesus. Because we want to grow, we want to grow in our relationship with him, we want to become more like him. And in fact, as we do so, as we do so, we are going to be transformed. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three and verse 18. Again, Paul is speaking about how we can grow spiritually. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is that glass in which we look to see ourselves and to see Jesus? It's the Word of God. That's the mirror, right? James talks about that. We need to spend time in the Word of God. Now, I realize that sometimes... We, uh, we want to spend time in the Word of God, but we don't exactly know why, or we don't exactly know how. Uh, let's just summarize what we've looked at so far. First of all, the Word of God reveals to us the character of God. And uh, secondly, it reveals to us our own character. And finally, the Word of God actually has creative power to change our hearts, as we open and we submit and we surrender to it, if we will open our hearts to the Word of God and allow, allow it to speak to us and be willing to obey it, be willing to follow it, we will be changed by the Spirit of God. You know, truth is a, truth, truth is a very dangerous thing. Sometimes sometimes I actually, I actually tremble as I consider what it means to learn truth, and to preach truth. Do you know that when you hear truth, you cannot stay the same? You cannot stay the same. It is impossible for the human heart to come face to face with truth and remain unchanged. You will either become harder because you resist it, or your heart will become softer because you open yourself to it. You cannot stay the same. It's like the Bible says, you know, uh, some people talk about predestination. They say the, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You remember that in the Old Testament? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know how? By revealing himself to him. That's what he did. He revealed himself to Pharaoh. And when you, when, if, you were to take, if you were to take a ball of wax and you were to take a ball of clay and you put them out on a nice sunny day like this, what's going to happen? The wax gets softer, the, the clay gets harder in the sun, right? In the sunshine of God's truth, in the sunshine of God's light... We either become harder or softer. We cannot stay the same. And God revealed himself to Pharaoh. The, 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 the key to understand is that we choose what kind of hearts we have. We choose whether we are clay or wax. We choose, choose the kind of soil. Remember the parable of, this, of the sower and the different types of soil. It's our choice. God gives us those freedoms. We can close our mind to truth. We can close our heart to truth. And that truth will harden our hearts. We can open our hearts to truth, and that truth will soften our hearts. Isn't God wonderful? God brings truth to our hearts, and we, each time we have an opportunity, if we will surrender to what God reveals to us in His Word, our hearts are going to be changed, and we're going to be cleansed through the Word of God. So I want to just go through some practical steps here this morning. I don't think there's very many things more fundamental, more important, in my own experience, to growing spiritually than to spend time in the word of God and so how do you do that how do you spend time in the word of God just for a few moments let's talk about some practical things first of all it has to become a habit I don't know about you but it's a habit I think the devil doesn't want me to have I really believe the devil works hard to make sure that I don't spend time every day in the word of God because if I don't spend time in the Word of God, what, it, what happens? What happens? I become self-satisfied with my own Christian experience. I become self-sufficient, self-confident. I don't trust wholly in the grace and the power of Jesus. And I end up making a mess of my day. Maybe it's not the first day. Maybe, maybe I don't even realize it for some time. But I become, I come to be on a collision course with the sad reality that I can't do it on my own. And so the devil works hard, and I believe that if we, want to, if we want to grow in Jesus, to grow spiritually, we need to make it a habit. That means making it a priority. A what? Priority. A priority. Oh, man. Now, some people have a better time spending time in the morning. Some people time, have a better uh, you know, ability to spend time other parts of the day. I personally try to spend some time in the morning, first thing, to at least pray, at least to meditate upon God's Word, even if that's not the bulk of my study time. Spend some time in the morning. That's my personal experience. But I'll, I'll tell you, if I go to bed too late at night, the night before, I actually have a harder time the next day spending time with Jesus. Have any of you had that experience? That's been my experience. And I suppose that there's a reason why the Bible says the evening or the nighttime, and the morning or the daytime were the first day. Remember creation? When does the day begin? Sunset the night before, right? When do we begin our day? When our alarm clock goes off. My point is it's too late. It's too late. We ought to begin our day as the Bible does, the night before. And if we want to spend time during that day with Jesus, perhaps in the morning, we begin our day by making a priority to get that rest, to get to bed on time, or at least early enough that we're not hitting the snooze six times and then running to work. You know what I'm talking about, right? Any of you ever had that experience? We need to set a, set a time and make it a priority. Make it a habit if we want to spend time in the Word of God. The second thing I want to, uh, to share with you is a practical step that I've learned from my own experience is make it a conversation. I believe God wants to speak to us. I believe He does. I believe that's why He's given us the Word of God. And I believe He wants to show us Himself. He wants to show us ourselves. But I believe it's best accomplished as a conversation between me and Him. You see, in, in, there was a time in my life where I always studied the Bible. I would get up, you know, we, we pray before we study the Bible, right? Lord, help me to understand Your Word. Speak to me through Your Word today. Send me Your Spirit. We pray. And then we finished our prayer time, and then we begin our Bible study time, right? This is how I... I I, for many years, studied the Bible. And then I would study for a few hours, and I, not always a few hours, I wish it was always a few hours, but a few minutes even, I would study for whatever time it was, a few verses, few chapters, I would study. And after I studied, what would I do? I would pray again. And so I had my prayer time and I had my study time. And as I continued to do this, I learned that sometimes my prayer time and my study time were completely unrelated. What I prayed about and what I read about wasn't even close to being on the same subject, the same topic. And I began to experience there's a better way to study, and that's like a conversation. And that's as I'm studying. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray and study separately. What I'm saying is I found it more, even more helpful for me personally if I pray throughout my study time in the Word of God. I pray throughout my study time. Let's just look back at John chapter 15 real quickly. I love this because it's a, it's a very practical, applicable chapter. We're going to look at it here for a, for a few minutes. Um, just some examples of how we can pray as we study the Word of God. John chapter 15. Suppose I'm having my time with the Lord, my devotional time. Jesus says here in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my Father is the husbandman, every branch in me. And if I'm praying and studying at the same time, I might stop right there and pray. Lord, am I abiding in you? Am I Are you talking about me here? It says every branch in me that beareth not fruit. And then I might find something else to pray about, right? Am I bearing fruit? Talk to God about what you're reading. Does that make sense? It's very simple. God's talking to you. You're talking to God. It becomes a conversation. It becomes a a two-way street. It's not that we hear an audible voice, but we, we give God opportunity to impress whatever it is in our reading of that day upon our hearts. Every branch that bears fruit, He purges it or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You see things that are there in that verse, that one verse that we can pray about? Just, just talk to God about that verse. Talk to Him about what He's trying to say to you that day. Just like I think David did when he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, show me the things in my life that need to be pruned. Allow me to submit to the pruning process today. That's not always an easy process, is it? God allows us to go through situations, through trials sometimes. Sometimes it's through the ones He's placed in our lives. And you know what? Too often, we won't talk too much about this today, but too often, when we come through trials, we become angry, we blame others, we become defensive, we even get angry at God, and all He was trying to do was prune us so we'd bear more fruit. We're supposed to have joy in trials because we know God's doing something. But too often we become angry at the tool that God uses to prune us, right? So there's something to pray about in these verses. In every verse, as you're studying the Bible, there's something that you can pray to God about. If you're doing this, my personal experience is, if you're doing this, it's hard to fall asleep while you're studying the Bible. If I'm just reading my chapter of the day and trying to get to the end, it's very easy for me to begin nodding, not in agreement, just nodding in sleep, right? And I get to the end of it and I feel refreshed, not because I learned or grew spiritually, but because I slept through my devotional period. If you're you're praying about it, if it's a two-way conversation, your devotional life will come alive. It doesn't mean every day you have to have something that just knocks your socks off, that you just think you want to shout from the highest hilltop. No. Part of, part of learning to, to, to consistently grow in Jesus is to make it a habit of studying the Word of God, whether you feel something's happening, whether you feel you're changing or not. Many people begin studying the Word of God and they say, you know what, I started studying and everything went wrong in my life. I don't want to study the Word of God anymore. I don't want to have devotions anymore. Well, there's a reason. You started to see yourself, right? You started to allow, you started to open yourself up to God's pruning. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. We just have to be patient. Make it a habit. The word, the Bible says, my word will not return unto me void. It'll accomplish that which it's sent out to perform. The word of God, if you'll spend time with it, even if you're bored, the word of God will change you you. It will. That's the exciting thing about spending the time in the Word of God. The third point I'd like to share with you this morning about how to study the Bible is to make it thoughtful. Now, in your bulletin this morning, you have a handout, and I want to just really briefly share with you what I mean by this. Does anyone not have this handout? I think I got here after some of the bulletins had already gone out, and so if you didn't get this handout, We have more to distribute. I'd like to have everyone have a handout. Just raise your hand if you don't find this in your bulletin. Anyone not have this in your bulletin? A few hands here or there. Okay, I would like to have everyone have this handout. This is just a simple tool. On the back side, we're not going to spend time looking at all these questions for Bible study. But again, if you have a hard time thinking as you're reading, if you find yourself just reading and coming to the end of your time with God and not even remembering what you read about you have a whole list of questions on the back side of this handout. This is taken from How to Get the Most Out of Bible Study by Leo Van Dolsen. And it's, they're just simple thought questions that as you read, and I would recommend it be only a, a few verses at a time, there's more benefit to be gained from taking a few verses and thinking about them than from reading many chapters that you didn't think about, right? And so even if it's just a verse or a few verses or even a fragment of a verse, if you think about it, the Holy Spirit has the ability to speak to you in a way that it, if you just mindlessly read, it'll be hard for you to, to experience. So these are a bunch of questions that you can simply ask if you want to have a more thoughtful time in your, in your reading. But here's a little, uh, a little acronym that I have found useful, I found helpful as I have studied because I can remember what to ask or what to think about as I'm reading. When I'm reading, I'm not just reading like I read any other book. I'm thinking about it because I'm asking questions about what I'm reading. The acronym is ESCAPE. And uh, first of all, I ask the question, is there an example for me to follow? Is there an example that we read in these verses that I can follow? The S stands for sin. Is there a sin for me to avoid? Or maybe that I need to confess to God, or confess to someone else to make right. Perhaps there's something that the Word of God shows me in my life that I need to grow in, that I need the grace of God to forgive me for, or the grace of someone else to forgive me for. Is there a sin for me to avoid or to confess? Is there a command for me to obey? C. A stands for actions. Is there an action for me to take, something that I can do to help my neighbor, perhaps, to to share it with someone else? P stands for promise. Is there a promise for me to claim? Is there a promise here in this verse that I can make my own today? And lastly, E is for expression. Is there something in this passage that I can share? Is there something I can take with me throughout the day that I can share with that neighbor, with that friend, with that coworker, with that colleague? Is there something that I can share with someone else? Or maybe even I can talk to Jesus about. Is there an expression for me in this verse? If you turn back with me to John chapter 15, let's just look at a couple more verses and ask these questions just so we see how this works. Very simple, isn't it? Isn't that simple? But can you see how, at least in my experience, using a simple device like this can help me to stay awake rather than just nod through my Bible study or my Bible reading? Yes, it's very effective. Verse 7, John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me... And my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. If you were to ask these questions, is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin for me to confess or avoid? Is there a command? Is there an action? Is there a promise? What do you find in John chapter 15, verse 7? What do you find? A little bit of all of them, right? <laughs> it could be. There's, and, and so we, really, as we look at these verses, we begin to see from different angles things that we wouldn't get if we were just reading it. But do you see a promise there? Yes, you do. It says, if you abide in me, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Talk about answers to prayer, right? Is there a command for me to obey or an action? Yes, there's abiding in Jesus, right? Abiding in him. Is there something that I can share? Well, maybe you want to pray about that. Lord, am I abiding in you? Am I living in your will today? Have I placed myself in your hands today? Is my will surrendered to your will Today, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear my fruit, much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. See his example there? And then he says, continue ye in my love. And he goes on a few verses later, he says, this is my commandment, that ye not only continue in my love, but that you love one another, right? As I have loved you. So just like Jesus loves the Father, or Father loves Jesus, so Jesus has loved us and we ought to love one another. Is that an example or what? That's a high calling, isn't it? Do we really have love for one another? Are we willing to love like Jesus loved? Or sometimes is, a, is my human nature the one that takes over, and when I feel like I'm being abused, there's nowhere near the love that Jesus had on the cross. I'm going to get even. You understand what I'm talking about? As I read the Word of God and as I thoughtfully think about it, I begin to see Jesus better and I begin to see myself better and I find that I have so much to pray about because I need the Word of God to create in me a clean heart, to create in me a new person, to make me new all over again. Make it a habit. Make it a conversation. Make it thoughtful. And so... Sorry, we're getting um, the last step here. Make what? Make decisions. After spending time with the Word of God, decide something. Don't just walk away and say, well, that was nice. Make a decision. Make a decision that today you're going to try by His grace to love others. You understand? Make a decision that today you want to abide in His love. And when things come your way that are maybe stormy or problematic or trials arise, you're going to rest, abide in His love. You understand what I'm saying? Make a decision about what you studied that day, and I believe your study time with God will be more useful and most uh, productive that will help you to grow spiritually. Dwight Moody, the great American evangelist, was uh, scheduled to preach an evangelistic series in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, you know, St. Louis, Missouri was a, a big city, and Dwight Moody was preparing his sermons, and um, he decided that he would, he would fill his sermons with the Word of God. There was in prison there in St. Louis a, a, a criminal by the name of Valentine Burke. And Valentine Burke was notorious in that, those days. He had been in and out of jail some 27 times. Many different jails, many different jurisdictions all over that part of the country. He was a notorious criminal. And he is, at this time he was sitting in, in, uh, in jail in St. Louis... Now, the, the St. Louis newspaper decided that when, when uh, Dwight Moody said he was coming to town that they would take a transcript of each of his sermons each night and they would publish the next morning, word for word, a transcript of his sermons the night before. And that's a lot of work, but it was. Uh, I, I wish we could get newspapers to do that still today for evangelistic Series, but um, that's what the, the newspaper was going to do. And so when Dwight Moody heard that... He decided it was even more important that he filled his sermons with the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God has power. The Word of God has power to change hearts. And so he filled his sermons with quotations from the Word of God, with texts from the Word of God. And every morning, that newspaper would have an article that uh, was noted, uh, you know, there was a, there was a headline on the, on the cover, and you turned to the back page and you could read the entire sermon. Well, one morning the newspaper was thrown into Valentine's cell there in jail, and as he picked up the newspaper, he saw on the headline, this was the headline on the front page uh, for Pastor Moody's sermon. The headline read, "...how the jailer in Philippi got caught." Now, Valentine said, I've been to, Val- uh, to, to Philippi, Missouri. I was in jail in Philippi, Missouri. I know that jailer. I want to see what he did and how he got caught. And so, Valentine picked up the paper, and he turned to that back-page sermon, and he started reading, and it didn't take him very long to realize it wasn't talking about Philippi, Missouri. It was talking about Philippi in, in Asia Minor. And this was not a news article, this was a sermon. And Valentine was not a Christian, he was not a believer, and he didn't want to have anything to do with God, and so in disgust, he threw the newspaper down. But you know, when he threw the newspaper down, there's some little bug that stayed in his, in his mind. There was something that, that he just couldn't stop thinking about that story, how the jailer in Philippi got caught. And after a little while, Valentine went back over to the newspaper and he picked it up off the floor and he started reading that article again. And then his, his, uh, he came to his senses and he said, well, what am I doing? I'm reading a sermon. And again, he angrily threw the newspaper down. But throughout the day, it's what we call conviction. <laughs> and it comes through the Word of God, friends. Throughout the day, Valentine could not stop thinking about that sermon, and every once in a while, he would come over, and he would start reading it again, and then he would realize what he was doing, and he'd throw the newspaper down, until sometime in late that night, he had read the whole article, the whole sermon, and late that night, alone in his jail cell, Valentine Burke gave his heart to Jesus. The jailers started noticing something different about him. They started noticing he didn't curse at them. He was smiling more. He seemed to be at peace. They wondered what had happened, and he started telling them he'd found religion. He had found Jesus. They thought this was some sort of a prank, some sort of a ploy. Maybe he wanted to get out for good behavior or something, you know. Maybe this was some this was some fake. So when he got out of jail, he went looking for work. He didn't know how to do anything except break the law. He couldn't get a job. So he went to New York. He tried to get a job there. For six weeks, he looked for work. He could not find a job. In desperation, discouragement, he came back to St. Louis. When he got back to St. Louis, there was a message for him. The sheriff wanted to see him. With a heavy heart, Valentine went to the courthouse thinking there must be some other some other crime that's caught up with him realizing again there's a high cost to low living right and when he got to see the sheriff the sheriff sat him down he said what have you been doing since you got out of jail he said well i've been looking for a job have you stayed true to your religion that you found in jail Valentine said, I've, My Savior has been good to me and I want to be faithful to Him. I'm growing in Jesus. Have you gone back to your life of crime? And he said, Sir, I've been clean. By God's grace, I've not, I've not gone back to my old ways. And the jailer said something that really surprised Valentine. He said, I know what you're saying is true. Because when you left jail here, we thought it was all phony and all pretend and all fake. And so we, we had a detective follow you the last six weeks. And we saw that you are, in fact, really different, really changed. We have an opening for a deputy in our workforce. And we want to hire you to work in the sheriff's office. You see, my friends, the Word of God actually, really changes people. I want it to actually, really change me. How about you? Is that your desire today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we recognize that your Word is like an incorruptible seed. Too often, Lord, we've, we've tried to grow spiritually without the miracle of your grace that comes from a relationship with you, that comes from spending time with you. Lord, I just want to pray for each person here, each person listening to this, this message, these thoughts this morning. I just want to pray that no matter where we are in our Christian walk, that we will not be satisfied but that we might be growing Christians, really, genuinely changed, day by day, as we spend time in Your Word, as we get to know You better, as we get to know ourselves better. Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You that as we study the Word of God, we not only find what great sinners we are, we find what a great Savior You are. Thank You that Your grace is greater than all our sin. Thank you that every single one of us can trust you and have the peace that comes from knowing that we're forgiven today. As we claim the promises of your word, may we become more like Jesus. May others see him in us. May they see that we are really being changed and may they want what we have. And Lord, may many others want to come to the fountain of cleansing, to come to the cross, to come to your word, and even to come to church, to know know that they too can be transformed day by day more and more into the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.